Glad that you are here. I uh, want to welcome all of our campuses, not just Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, the folks that live stream us, uh, those that are here uh, because the Broncos are playing and you want to get home this weekend to watch them. Uh, God knows your heart and pray that, yeah, you're blessed no matter what. So, uh, oh, come on. It's like Broncos who? Got right, exactly. There's too much gear in here. I saw it when I walked in. I knew why it was such a full auditorium this weekend. Uh, all right, here's, uh, here's our deal. We're in a series called Lies, and uh, we're in the third week of that. Last week, Kate Matat taught, taught and uh, Matat taught. That's not easy to say. Um, she did an outstanding job, didn't she? Our, for, to find um, a young teacher... Uh, but one that's already uh, so, so able at such a young age, just, just uh, astonished and so appreciative of her, and I wanted to publicly uh, thank her. Uh, what we're doing this weekend, a little bit different than, uh, than planned. Um, we we uh, normally take up an offering for Israel this time of year, and if you go to JFC, you know that we are uh, big uh, Israel supporters here. We talk about that a lot. It is part of our, our DNA and uh, uh, part of what we stand for. And it's a way that we can make a statement uh, to the nation, to the people, about where our hearts are at. And so next week we're going to receive that offering. And generally what I do is that I will teach about uh, our uh, connection to Israel and uh, how, how, where it fits in space and time. And when we planned this series called Lies, we thought, wow, let's talk about one of the lies that, um, that people hear today is that we have all the time in the world. And I wanted, to, I wanted to teach on that connecting it to the nation of Israel. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, while it works very well for the fact that I need to take up an offering next week, and while it would work for, um, for what we personally are trying to do and for something that's near and dear in my heart, uh, as I sat before the Lord and, and really waited on Him this week, and as I prepared for this weekend, um, I felt the Lord tell me uh, directly, just, you, you, I don't want you to teach about that, and you need to just trust me with this offering. Your teaching is not going to be the, the key to, to whether or not that offering is a great offering anyway. It's what I'm going to do in the hearts of people. So we are going to take it up next week, but I want you to know that um, this is one of those things I'm having to lay down what I like to do too and what I like to teach on and, and the direction that I wanted to go. And I felt like the Lord had given me something for this weekend that was just very specific in this idea of lies. So uh, on the way in, you're handed the notes, and at all of our campuses, if you want to grab those, we will jump into this message um, um, real quick with this. Uh, I put as the transition title, I, I called it Love, Truth, Hate, Deception. Love, Truth, and Hate, Deception. And then right, right below that, I put a sign that you'll find, uh, according to the Bible, and according to the authors of the Bible, th there will be, uh, there'll be a lot of different signs before the return of Christ and things that mark the end of the age. But there was one in particular that has to do with sort of the atmosphere or the attitude or what will be going on in the church towards that day and that time. And as I got into it this week and was studying, I thought, what, what, a, what a great... Um, I felt like what the Lord showed me is one of the enemies 
uh, abilities to deceive God's people is going to be through this issue right here. And so there may not be a more timely thing to teach on then, looking at the day and the age we live in, than how the enemy is able to deceive God's people. And so uh, that's where the message will, will go this weekend. And, and I just put right there, there's a few scriptures, and you can look at them here with me, but they basically talk about what, uh, what the world at large, and the church in particular, uh, an attitude that you'll find, and what it will be like before the return of Christ and, and sort of in the last days. So this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. This is Paul writing this to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, let no one, what's the word there? So, so right off the bat, you can see, I'm not, I'm not inserting, adding, or trying to make this say something that it doesn't say. He's talking about deception. And he adds this, so let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, and the day that he's talking about is the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, the day that we will uh, stand before him and the age, the end of the age and the age of consummation uh, of the church being ready for Christ. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, here's my point to you. The world can't fall away. They're already fallen. Agree with that statement? So he's got to, in reference, then be talking to believers. And what he's saying to believers about that day and that time is that there will be a falling away that happens inside of the church. Now, here would be the question. Is that all of the church, or would you consider that to be more nominal? People that just say, I go to church, or say that I'm... You recognize in America, most people go, I'm an American, and that means I'm a Christian. And they're not synonymous. Agree with that? So, so here's, here's uh, my take on it is that it probably is both. That it will probably be a time of pressure that is on the earth, and maybe I can even point to where we are in space and time in a moment, but I would say it would be a time of pressure that comes on the earth that for those people who are not serious about, they call on the name of, of uh, Christianity in, in the idea, but not in a sold out, this is who I am. So it's going to put pressure on those people, but also the idea of falling away, it has to represent people who, who do love God. Because again, if they're nominal, they're already falling away. So it has to speak to that. Right, let me give you another one right here that I think is just interesting. 1 Timothy 4, 1. Paul is now writing to his protege, who is a pastor of one of the churches that Paul has planted. And he actually is writing at a time when Timothy is trying to pastor a church. So he's writing instruction to Timothy. And this is what he says is prophetic. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, or in other words, the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Deceiving spirits and a doctrine of demons. What, a, what an interesting account again that he brings. And then this one right here, this is Jesus, Matthew 24. If you know the Bible very quickly, uh, in Matthew 24, it's actually the most concise and clear teaching we have from Christ himself about the last days. He's asked in verse 1, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And then Jesus launches into a discourse, and part of the teaching is this right here. And then many will be offended will betray one another, and will hate one another, then many false prophets will rise up and, what's the word again? Deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Again, the love that we're talking about here is not the love of the world, it's the love that's supposed to be in the church. He's talking about and to believers. So he's setting up an idea, and it's all through the Bible, that in the last days, there will be on the earth loosed and a deception for lack of a better word, or maybe the precise word, a deception which will cause believers 
to have to go through, to question, or to at least be tested in their faith. I think that's what we're looking at right here. Let me just throw one more in that I, um, I think it's applicable. I didn't put it in your notes. I'll just read it to you. This is, uh, this is 2 Timothy. So it's Paul's second letter to Timothy. This is chapter 3, uh, verse 1. He begins this way. Realize this, that in the last days, so there we go again in context, in the last days, difficult times will come. That also can be, depending on your translation, it may say perilous times will come, stressful times will come, or pressure-filled times will come to the church. So let me just ask you very quickly, do we live in pressure-filled days? It's not an easy day to try to figure things out, is it? It's not an easy day to just kind of waltz through life. We look around this world, and I don't know how much you pay attention to it, but if you go around the world in 60 seconds, like some of the news channels like to take you, you come back from the trip very depressed. It's not a happy time, is it? We saw even things this week, and it just happens to work out this week, where many of you, as I begin to talk about, we saw things in the news this week that are just, they're beyond grisly, aren't they? It's beyond hard to even understand. We find ourselves, how in a, what has happened to us in such a short time? What has happened? We find ourselves being drawn deeper and deeper and deeper into a conflict for which there are no easy answers. Into a time that I don't think the church has ever witnessed before, and we have gone through as a church in the first century some perilous times already. We find ourselves drawn into something that's, wow, what's going on here? Or as I mentioned in the beginning, when I studied this week, I was going to connect it to the idea of Israel last days, and I felt like the Lord showed me something that had to do with deception that the enemy uses against God's people. A way that he's able to deceive them or to discourage them or to, to pressurize them, to cause their love to grow cold, to question, to doubt, to want to throw their hands up, to maybe want to give up. And as I went through it, man, it just became clearer and clearer to me what I needed to teach on. So in your notes right here, I thought it would be wise that before I go to what I've written, just to see if I can get us all on the same page, I put under the bullet point, can you agree with this? So Lakewood, can you agree with this? And Castle Rock, can you agree with this? And Highlands Ranch, will you agree with me right now? And Lone Tree, can you agree with this statement? that all of us are subject to deception and that it is possible for us to be deceived. Can you agree with that right there? So if you say no, I think you already could be deceived. <laughs> so the Bible tells us, Jeremiah chapter 17, it's an Old Testament scripture, but I think it has a very interesting connotation for today. It says that the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Have you ever been in a situation where you thought you knew what your heart is, but you find out you didn't really understand what was in your heart? Has that ever happened to you? So you think one thing, and actually it's not the way you think it is. We are subject to being deceived. So who then knows truth? Well, the Bible says that ultimately in that scripture, God himself is the one who's able to judge the heart. God himself knows what's in our heart. So then it's to him that we have to look for all truth. It's to him we have to be able to say, uh, maybe I can't judge it, God. Maybe I don't understand it. Maybe it's something that you need to point out to me. But then the question is, how does God do that? And how does he work his way into our life? So I just put right below that, then how do you guard against deception? Jesus actually began to teach about this all through his activity on the earth 
but in particular in John's gospel, is the account of Jesus telling his disciples, it's better for you if I go away so that the Holy Spirit of the promise can come. And then he begins to talk about what the Holy Spirit is able to do in people's lives. In John chapter 16, 13, and 15, look at this. Jesus teaches, but when he, the spirit of what? Say it with me again, the spirit of? You recognize, keep that scripture on there for a second while I just teach this. The Holy Spirit wears different suits. I don't know any other way to say this. He has different personalities, different things that he does at different times. Sometimes the Bible calls him, he has a windsuit. And he's very powerful when he comes in like the wind. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was like a rushing mighty wind, is what they said. And then he's like fire, isn't he? He can represent fire and he represents oil. He has a suit of oil where he anoints and he touches and he can heal. The Bible equates one of the activities of the Holy Spirit like water. Jesus said, come unto me, all of you who are thirsty, and I'll give you water. You'll never thirst again. Oh, what's he talking about? And it's his Holy Spirit being in us. Rivers of living water. But then one of the activities of the Holy Spirit is that he is the revealer of all truth. So that even when we teach messages like this, you can sit there and think, okay, if I listen close enough, I'll be able to get it and I'll be safe from deception. Your natural mind will never keep you safe from deception. There's the deception. Your natural mind can't do it. It takes the spirit. Only God knows the heart. Only God can weigh the heart. Only God can look inside of the heart and tell us what's going on inside of us. So Jesus offers us to then the spirit of truth. So, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, look at this. He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and then look at this part right here, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. In other words, he doesn't just teach what he wants to teach. He teaches only what, here's what Jesus said, I only do and I only say what I've heard and seen the Father do, and the Holy Spirit does the same thing. He only does what he's heard and seen Jesus do. He's the Spirit of Christ. He's the revelation of truth. All right, so let me connect then to you very quickly. The activity of the Holy Spirit in your life, according to the scripture, he does two things. Now, I grew up, and I've told this story before, I had two distinct experiences with church, with religion, and with coming to a relationship with God. First one is this, I was born a Catholic. This is not, this is my experience, this is my story, and I'm entitled to tell my story. It's not bagging on anything. Born in South Louisiana, and you're either born Baptist or Catholic. You have no choice. You're one of the two. That's all there is to it. Okay? You can be heathen if you're in New Orleans. There is that. But actually, if you're Catholic and Baptist, you're heathen. You just repent over the weekend. So here's where we, we go. <laughs> I'll get in trouble for that one right there. Uh, so, here's, <laughs> so here was, I grew up as a Catholic in a very staunch uh, traditional Catholic church that actually taught the mass in Latin. You imagine, never understanding a word of what was going on. And they had, and I, I've told this story, the church was St. Rita's. That was the, the, the parish church. And in the front of the church was a, a statue that was up high above everything. And now at 50, of course, I can look back and I realize it was Moses being given the law and he looked so fierce holding the Ten Commandments. But I thought it was Jesus. And so I was afraid of him because of the statue. And in the church, 
the automatic default was that it was one of those churches everything echoed. Do you know the church? You walk in, you know what I mean? Everything just made huge, so everybody was afraid to make noise. If you were to clap or to laugh, they would have killed you. That's the way that it was. <laughs> it was just, you didn't do that. So a very formalized, traditional Catholic upbringing. I made my first communion. I was an altar boy. I did not have the experience that, that a lot of us read about over the last several. I had a good experience, but I had a formal experience that taught who Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit were, but they never introduced them practically as Savior, Lord, and being filled with His Spirit in my life. And from that, later on, I'm invited to a very small country Pentecostal church. Hallelujah. <laughs> you obviously were there. That was... <laughs> And in that church, if you didn't make noise, they'd kill you. So that was the difference between, between the two. And they taught, here's where I'm going with this. Uh, one taught a knowledge of the Holy Spirit without any interaction with the Holy Spirit. The other one very much taught on interaction with the Holy Spirit, but they locked it into this, that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. And so they, they made that sort of the divisive issue that the only way we know you're filled with the Holy Spirit is if you speak in tongues ignoring that the fruit of the Spirit was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, gentleness, self-control. They didn't use that to judge whether or not you were filled with the Holy Spirit, so they condemn you if you didn't speak in tongues. So my God, I tried to talk in tongues. Every, I, 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 I see my bow tie, tie my bow tie, here's my bow tie. I wanted to talk in tongues so bad. But if God doesn't give you that gift, that's very hard for that to have. Now, subsequently, I had it, but that was, that was their experience. With the, the Holy Spirit was limited entirely to the ability to speak in tongues. And everything was around that issue right there. It was such a limiting understanding of the Holy Spirit is not just simply a one-facet gift. But He is all truth. And the revelation of Jesus, He makes Jesus alive and now. Jesus is a historical figure on ink and paper who lived 2,000 years ago. And He may be real and it may be true. But unless you know the Holy Spirit, all you do is read history. Holy Spirit makes Him now. How do you know he's alive? Because the Holy Spirit talked to me today. I heard him today. I heard him before I stood up here to talk to you. He's alive. So the opportunity then to know the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is so much more than be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, or be filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesy, or be filled with the Holy Spirit and have a gift. Be filled with the Holy Spirit because it's to know Jesus. It's to experience Jesus. And that it's impossible entirely to experience him without the Holy Spirit. That you'll never experience him by reading your Bible alone. And you'll never experience him by going to church alone. You'll never experience him by singing a song alone. That you need the ministry or to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I lay out a bit of a foundation and a few thoughts. Here's where I would go with the necessity or in this particular place, why you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says He is the revelation of truth, that He leads us into truth. And then the Bible teaches us clearly that one of the difficulties, tests, hardships, 
that we will go through as believers is that the devil will use difficult things in order to deceive us in the last days. And that without, listen to this, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it would be possible for even those who love God to grow cold in their love and to fall away. So let's do a little litmus test. Here's what I'm experiencing. In the last year and a half, man, it's as though every time I turn around, there's just more and more trouble. It seems like, look, all of the theology I grew up with was that if you love Jesus, it's sort of a force field around your life, that everything will work out just fine. But the reality on the ground (laughs) has been that the more I love Jesus and the further I've gone to try to serve him, the more it's cost me. And I don't care whether it's, I want you to just think about your life right now, whether it's difficult in relationships, difficult with things that are happening to your kids. So maybe I would ask, how many of you are experiencing things with your kids right now that you've never experienced before? Let me show you. Watch. Look around. I got my hand up. I'm not asking what. I'm not telling my story. I'm just telling you all of a sudden I'm finding my children going through, I'm like, I leave from one event to another almost. I'm like, God, doesn't this end? It's like, here, here's, for every event like that, here's the deception. That people who love God don't go through things like that. Or that God promised that he'll keep you from. Isn't that the delivering of evil? And we misinterpret all of Scripture when we don't understand that we have an enemy that in the last days is going to open up the fire of hell. Financially, maybe you don't want to respond to this, but how many of you in the last year or so have struggled financially like never before? Yeah, I see you. I said you didn't have to respond to it, but if you'd like to, maybe it would be cathartic. How many of you have struggled in relationship? How many of you have struggled in health? I mean, you just look around and you're just going through things. You're just like, I, and it's caused you to very much doubt, not give up, but just doubt. Where's God's faithfulness? Where are the promises? <laughs> the devil wants to use the very issue of contention. Of how does this happen to people who love God? Why does this happen to people who love God? He wants to use that very pressure to deceive you. Because what I found through those things is that it's very easy to begin to question, God, come on, this isn't the deal I signed up for. And I'm giving, and I'm going, and I'm serving, and I'm doing. You heard from one of our missionaries tonight, our first one, Jeff Reitz. What a precious man he is. He and I have some history together. We go back a long ways. I know his family, and he knows mine. There's been a lot of interaction there. Unbeknownst to Jeff, as we prepare for this weekend, he tells me, God, both of my cars have blown up and my well just went out. And he said, financially, it's like everything we're doing. It's almost like, hey, what's going on here? 
And isn't it possible when those things are all going on to think, where's God in all of this? And this is why you need the Holy Spirit. No, hear me right now. This is not be filled with the Holy Spirit and sing a little song. Filled with the Holy Spirit and everything's good. This is be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can hear the voice of the Lord talk to you in the middle of all the stuff going on that he holds you in his hand and no one can snatch you from there. I'm reading about Paul's life this afternoon. I'm just sort of flipping through Acts, just chapter by chapter. He's in a shipwreck. It it just helps me to find somebody else suffering worse than I am. (laughs) You ever feel like that? It just makes me feel better about my stuff. It seems sort of petty all of a sudden. Sort of first world versus third world. He's in a shipwreck. They go without food for 21 days. The Holy Spirit tells them it's all going to be okay. Tell everybody it's all going to be okay, but you are going to have to be shipwrecked. You are going to end up on an island, but if we all stay together, God will preserve us. So the Lord does this for them, but it goes through this whole thing of how horrible the shipwreck was. They get off on the island. They're cold. They're wet. He builds a fire, and a snake bites him. You know, I mean, imagine, like, 21 days. They're starving. They're thrown into the sea. They make it to the shore. God kept us alive, but just barely. Somebody make a fire. Here, I'll get the wood. Oh, crap. (laughs) You don't ever say that, right? Okay, okay. It was in Latin, so he said, crape. So it was... And he just shakes it off into the fire. Now get, now get this guy. He just shakes it off into the fire. <laughs> and he makes it back. And, and God's telling him the whole time, hey, I just need you to be my witness. I need you to be willing to go through this. this you're going to reach many people by your willingness to stay steady and to not give up on this. A prophet comes out named Agabus, who takes Paul's belt, and the prophet gives him a word. He goes, watch what I'm going to do with your belt, and he ties up his feet and his hands with his belt, and he says, to the owner of this belt, if you go forward with the will of God, this is what's going to happen to you. What kind of word is that? (laughs) Like, how many of you are excited to get that word? Tonight, if I go, I have a word for you, and here it is. Calamity is coming your way if you love God. How many of you are like, oh, I just rebuke you. you. So we don't sign up for that, do we? And yet we find ourselves going through things. I read this. This one is just a, it's a handful. This is, this is Acts. This one is a little, a little more confusing to me. It's Acts 14. You may not have brought your, your Bible and rely on my notes, so let me just read this to you. This is Acts 14. Uh, this is Paul while he's doing ministry. But some folks from Antioch and Iconium, having won over the crowds, talked them into stoning Paul. And they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, 
he got up and entered the city. Now get that picture. He's doing ministry. Some guys come who oppose them. They talk the crowd into stoning him. They drag him out of the city and the disciples are like, well, he's dead apparently. How do you know? That big rock hit him in the head. What do we do? I don't know. And Paul stands up. He doesn't go, hey, I need to go to the hospital. Or can you believe those guys did that to me? He goes, let's go back in the city. So he walks back (laughs) into the city. The next day he gets up. They went on their way with Barnabas now to Derbe. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra back to Iconium where he had been stoned, and to Antioch. Look at this. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And then he makes this statement. Through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure how much that gospel gets preached. Here's the one that gets preached. Wealth, health, and ease. And certainly in God, there is those things. Yes or no? But there are also tribulations, difficulties, things that we do not understand, and an enemy who hates us with everything that's in him. We have a God who's always faithful. And here's what Paul says when he finally figures the whole thing out. He says, I don't figure that my present suffering is even to be compared with what God's going to give me when I stand before him. And yet we all live always thinking about how's this going to benefit me right here and right now? And is my payoff here and now? And is my money going to work out here and now? And is my health going to work out here and now? And ultimately, it really is about heaven and about God's ability to always be fair to us over the long run. I wonder... If that gospel was preached, how many disciples Jesus has? Because if he's telling us that in the last days there will be perilous times and there will be difficulties that we go through, and particularly if you love me, the devil's going to use those things to convince you that I'm not for you. That how in the world are you going to make it and be okay? And here's what you tell yourself like when 2000 happened. Remember Y2K? I need to get two 55-gallon water things and a big generator and some gold and an AK-47. And I will fight the devil off for as long as my water lasts. And I would just submit to you very quickly, you cannot prepare for a spiritual battle through physical means. You're already defeated. You're already beaten. You've already lost the battle. You're done. You're done. The only hope any of us in this room have is to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can lead you, teach you, show you, guide you, protect you, heal you, and keep you. Now, this doesn't become some Pentecostal message or some you need to speak in tongues or you need to prophesy or you need to get this gift. Here's what it is. You need the Holy Spirit to survive. Did you hear what I just said? You need the Holy Spirit to survive. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to be okay in your marriage. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to be okay 
under pressure. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to be able to reveal to you that God has not left you, that he is for you, that he hasn't forsaken you, that no matter what you go through, God is faithful and God is good. Do you hear me? Now, the urgency of that, all week long, it just seemed like, I, I didn't feel like the Lord released me to even say, talk about what you're going through. That's not the point. It's talk about the fact that we go through it. But it seems to me that almost, I asked the question this week, how much can one person handle? How much? Here's what I really am saying. This price is more than I figured. But there is nothing else. And he is faithful. And in reality, because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I don't figure that anything that's happened to me is even to be compared with how God will reward me and how God has already taken care of me in my life. So coming to the end of the message, and it's so easy like to hype something. Give, give, give. And God will give, give, give. Pray, pray, pray. And it'll be protect, protect, protect. And there are scriptures where he does, and maybe you hear this message just like, I don't know if I can, that freaks me out. I bet because you're, a cerebral believer. And I bet that everything you do is through your mind. And you've got to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that God can reveal truth to you in your heart. So we're going to come to the end of a message and we're going to worship right now. But the opportunity is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in my day, so the way they did it was like, 15 people would grab you and shake you and spit. <laughs> so if nothing else, you're like, I think I got it. I think that's it. And I guess my, I'm just, I'm like, if you ask God, he's good and he'll fill you. And if you're like, well, I had that experience, you've got to have it every day. You've got to be filled every day. We've got to rely on the ministry of the Holy Spirit every day. Be filled every day, every day, God. So I just thought this would be the way that I would do ministry right here. The worship team could come and get in place at all the campuses. and The campus pastors, I've already given them direction that when they close out this weekend, they're allowed to do anything that they feel like God would have them do. I just felt like I would do this. I would just pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then if you wanted to receive that, the opportunity for you just to say yes to that would be here today. So I'm just going to do this. I'm going to offer the opportunity for the prayer to go out right now. And then if you're just like, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe it connects with you on the idea of you're just going through things right now and the enemy is using it to deceive you that God has been unfaithful to you. or that you just can't reconcile all the things that are happening to you. So I just believe that the reality, the truth of the Holy Spirit is that God loves us and that God is for us and that God is fair to us and God is faithful to us and that God never leaves us and he never forsakes us.
gosh, we look around at all this stuff and it's so easy for the enemy to deceive us that we've got to have the truth of the Holy Spirit. So if this is for you, then open your heart right now to what I'm going to pray. Father, I don't even know where to begin as far as to name or to call out the things that people may be going through. So maybe it is in health or maybe it is in finances or maybe it is with relationships. Maybe what I just said is true with them. Maybe they find their children going through event after event and they just can't reconcile how if God is faithful, this could happen. And that's the very issue that the devil is using to deceive them right now. And that there's nothing, listen to me, that I can say that convinces you. You've got to have the Holy Spirit reveal the truth of God back in your heart again. If a man can talk you into something, another man will talk you out of it. But if God says it, it lasts. You can build your life on it. And if you find yourself in that struggle right now, then the Holy Spirit is more than the gift of tongues. And let me say to you again, it's a wonderful gift. And while I had a little fun with it, I believe in it and practice it and encourage it. But it's not the end-all, be-all to being filled with the Holy Spirit. A word of prophecy is a powerful tool but it's not the end-all, be-all to being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills us so that we experience Jesus. That the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the reality of Christ, the love of the Father, the grace, the grace of God becomes yours through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, all of our lives, we open to you right now. God, we want you to fill us. Fill us to overflowing. That's the promise. Not just to a portion. You fill us to overflowing. In fact, you even command us to be filled. Present tense, ongoing, overflowing with the Holy Spirit. God, we admit before you, we're not smart enough, fast enough, and we cannot do it on our own. And in fact, those people will be caught blind. Jesus' return will catch them like a thief in the night because they cannot prepare mentally. The ministry of the Holy Spirit will be necessary to prepare us. Father, fill our hearts right now. God, as we take this time to connect to you, fill us with you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Stand to your feet, if you will. And as we just go into a time of worship right here, allow it to be literally. This is a portal to allow the reality of the Holy Spirit to touch your life, to fill you. Do not be quick, church, to run out of this room, to hit your car, and to go on with your life. That's deception. Hear me on the issue. That's deception. Connect with God because that's your salvation. 
That's your salvation.